Welcome to the Dominic Inyart Show. I'm Scott Shamblin. And I'm Nicole McBurney, and this month is Black History Month. So to kick us off, we want to start by going through a brief list of black accomplishments, inventions, and honorable mentions throughout history. So Scott, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, first we have the black eye. It's not explicitly recorded who was the first person to receive a black eye, but getting punched in the face is about as old as human rage. Uh, which started shortly after the fall. Uh, next, we have coal, which is about as old as fire, I would guess. Uh, and I'm not really sure how far back that goes, probably since the beginning of the Earth. In 3000 BC, we have the first recorded blacksmith. Uh, 2000 BC, the ancient Mayans often created weapons out of black obsidian. In the 15th century AD, Arabs created black coffee. Uh, not to be confused with Black Rifle Coffee Company, who uh, sold out. 1801, uh, the blackboard was invented by a high school headmaster named James Pillins, uh, which has since participated prominently in the education of millions of people. Another huge black win there. In 1914 through 1926, when the Ford Motor Company made the Model T, um, during an exchange between Henry Ford and one of his salesmen, the salesman suggested adding additional color options. And Mr. Ford stated, any customer can have a car painted any color he wants as long as it's black. Henry Ford was a major push for black acceptance in modern society. In 1939, black was also one of the first colors selected to be on TV, along with the color white. I see this as a huge win for the color black. In the 1950s and 1960s, uh, somewhere in there, we had the advent of Black Friday, which we know today as the day after we shout from the hilltops how thankful we are, and then we drive off into the sunrise to punch Samantha, a nine-year-old girl, for taking the last Betty Crocker toaster that we didn't want. And then finally, bringing us almost up to the modern day, 2013 was the inception of the Marxist money laundering organization, Black Lives Matter. It didn't have anything to do with the color black, though it did increase Google searches significantly for black, for which we are thankful. Well, thank you, Scott, for that exciting history of all things black. I believe our audience is most enlightened. <laughs> but in all seriousness, February has been deemed Black History Month for I don't know how long. I've only recently become aware of it, maybe a couple of years ago, because my Google Calendar started to alert me on February 1st. Hey, it's Black History Month. And I was like, I didn't know that was a thing, but apparently it is. Um, so, Scott, why don't you tell us a little bit about how that came to be? Yeah, so we did a little bit of research beforehand for the show. Uh, in 1926, a historian by the name of Carter G. Woodson and the Association for the Study of Negro Life in History. They changed the name for some reason to the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History, by the way. Um, not really sure why they did that. They announced the second week of February to be Negro History Week. Uh, the primary motivator was recognition of black people, as far as we can tell. When Black History Week launched, Carter stated that teaching black history was essential to ensure the survival of blacks within society. We have a quote from him that says, if a race has no history, it has no worthwhile tradition. It becomes a negligible factor in the thought of the world and it stands in danger of being exterminated. Later on in February, 1970, 
the educators and students in Kent State University campaigned for and celebrated the first Black History Month. Uh, so what does Black History Month, what does it mean today? The vague consensus is it can mean whatever you want it to mean, uh, but is generally about celebrating major contributors to Black history, such as MLK Jr., Obama, Margaret Sanger, and Rosa Parks. Now, at KGov, do we support the celebration of Black History Month? Nope. <laughs> uh, not because we don't like Black people. It's quite the opposite. Uh, but because we don't believe in fake holidays and participation trophies. Um, but we aren't Black, so we're not really allowed to have an opinion on the topic. So we have our friend Morgan. Black History Month you find ridiculous. Why? You're going to relegate my history to a month? Oh, come well, on. What do you do with yours? What, which month is White History Month? Well, well, come on, tell me. Well, uh, I'm Jewish. Okay. Which I'm month is Jewish History Month? Uh, there isn't one. Oh. Oh. Why not? Yeah. Do you want one? No, no. No, I, 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 I don't either. I don't want a Black History Month. Black History is American history. How are we going to get rid of racism? On Stop talking about it. I'm going to stop calling you a white man. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you to stop calling me a black man. Yeah, so I think Morgan just about sums it up for us. Um, speaking of which, I saw recently the Colorado State Senate recently proposed the Senate Bill 24-053 titled Concerning an Evaluation of Racial Equity for Black Coloradans and is looking to spend $100,000 to perform a study on the impact of Black Coloradan state policies and systemic racism, among other things. Yeah, so reading from the text of the bill, I'm going to go ahead and read a quote from the bill itself. The bill requires the State Historical Society to conduct a study to determine any historical and ongoing effects of slavery and subsequent systemic racism on Black Coloradans that may be attributed to Colorado state policies and to identify measures that are consistent with the Constitution to address those effects. Now, going deeper into the proposed bill, uh, we took out a few highlights of things that they're trying to solve or rather, they're trying to uh, figure out a solution for. Uh, they want to look into the homeownership gap between black and white Coloradans. They're trying to figure out the disparity of black individuals only being 5% of the population in Colorado, but being 17% of those in jail and 18% of those in prison. Uh, they claim that black Coloradans experience negative health outcomes at rates much higher to white Coloradans. Uh, and they list a handful of things such mm. as food insecurity or not having enough food, uh, infant mortality, childhood asthma, diabetes, HIV and AIDS. You know, I think we can solve these problems ourselves in the next 20 minutes or so for free. We don't even need the hundred thousand dollars. I would like $100,000, but we don't need it. So why don't we go ahead and get into these? Uh, the first one was the home ownership gap. Scott, how do we solve the, the home ownership gap? Okay, it is the most wildly complicated problem ever. Mm. Like Tell it's, us about it. It's, it's so difficult. It's, mm. it's two steps. Oh, boy. Uh, step one, brace mm. yourself. Oh. Get married. 
<laughs> and step two is stay married. Okay, hold on. Um, that was then, way too fast. Slow down. You said step one was to get married, and step two is to stay married. Okay. Okay. I think we got that. I think we got that. It's it's been shown basically forever. There's studies that have been done on it. Articles. Men who get married, they make more money. Um, I've seen different figures. I've seen twenty percent more. I've seen more than that. Depends on the guy, but that's a pretty good number. Twenty uh, percent more. If a man has a has uh, a man. If a man has a family to take care of, he's more motivated to work harder so he can support his family. So it just logically follows that if you're married and you stay married, you're more likely to do better. So point number two was more black people in the jails and prisons. Why is that? Uh, a big contributor for that is fatherlessness in mm -hmm. black America, black communities. Mm -hmm. Again, the way we can solve that is get married. And stay married. Uh, if you have a father in the home, you are significantly less likely to have your kids go to jail or prison or even get in trouble with the law at all. Let's go on to the next one. Yeah, you know, I was looking into this uh, food insecurity issue, and I found that in 2022, the USDA reported that single mother households were more than three times as likely to experience food insecurity among children compared to married coupled households with children. So it seems like the solution to that is also to get married, married and, stay, and married. stay married. Interesting. I think we're developing a pattern here. There, there does seem to be a pattern. Uh, the next one, infant mortality. Yeah, so it turns out that one of the major correlations of infant mortality is, and here it's going to surprise you, family structure. <laughs> infant mortality rate for unmarried mothers, according to one study, is... Wait, can, can I guess it? Can I guess? Is okay. the unmarried mother's infant mortality rate higher than the married mother's? Let's see here. I need to do the math, but uh, yes, that is correct. <laughs> Mind blown. So in other words, get married and stay married, and you're less likely to have your kid dying on you. Pretty simple. <laughs> or maybe it's very complex. I think we said it was a very complex thing. It, it is pretty complicated. Get married and stay, stay married. married. Yes. Uh, the next one, this one is a shocker. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they mentioned childhood asthma. Yeah. And when looking up the answer to this one, it I was honestly surprised. But we already have like this trend of answers. And like I was I was curious, would this continue the trend? Mm -hmm. um, so childhood asthma. In 2009, the Census Bureau reported that 40% of children in the United States were born to unmarried mothers. Mm -hmm. Children living in single parent households are nearly twice as likely to have a physician diagnosis of asthma as children living in households with married parents. Yeah, this one this one was a surprise to me because I still don't understand exactly how that works. I think the article even says like we don't we don't really know why this is, but uh there's the stats for you. You can click on that article. And yeah, they were I, they were like we don't understand the correlation. Yeah, cuz I mean I have I have asthma allergies and I have two parents and they've been married my whole life and longer. Um so it's not just <laughs> having single parents that's going to give you asthma. But I think maybe possibly one of the reasons that this is and this is just a wild guess I'm not a doctor, but maybe the stress of not having two parents, having to go from mom's house to dad's house all the time, it just creates stress on the kids that 
you know, wouldn't normally be there with when you, if you had two parents in the home. And so they're more susceptible to having a weak immune system and develop asthma and other allergies and whatnot. That's just my guess. I don't know. I have to, I have to look into it more because it is, it is, it was shocking to read that. But we can solve part of childhood asthma with our, our current theme, which is our two-step plan. And get married, married and stay married. <laughs> Another problem that they wanted to solve is the diabetes or uh, the diabetes for the regular English speaker. <laughs> Scott, why don't you tell us a little bit about the diabetes issue here? Yeah, so the we, we found a study um, and I'm going to read a little excerpt from it. It says the number of parents in the household was not associated with BMI or risk of obesity in kindergarten or third grade, but by fifth grade, uh, children from single mother families were more likely to be obese than their peers from two parent families. So again, our trend continues. Get married and stay married and you're less likely to encounter this problem. Like M- Michelle Obama or Michael Obama from, you, you, re- you remember the, the couple that used to live in the White House? Yeah, yeah. Um, they, uh, M- Michelle Obama could have solved childhood obesity by simply recommending to get married and stay married rather than making miserable school lunches. <laughs> what a thought. Get married, stay married. <laughs> We're solving the world's problems here, Scott. All right, and the final problem that they wanted to solve was HIV and AIDS. Yeah, they, they found that in Black communities, disproportionately, they had uh, more cases of HIV and AIDS, mm. which... You can probably guess. You can probably guess where we're going with this one. Yep. Couples who get married, waited for marriage, and are faithful to their spouse have virtually no risk or any form of STDs. Mm-hmm. But black culture, they idolize the culture of not getting married, sleeping around, mm-hmm. and hate to say it. No, I don't. That's how you get them. <laughs> um, so the answer here is... Once again, get married. Get married, stay married. married. And what, we'll add a third one in the front of that. Wait for marriage, get married. There you go. Stay married. Perfect. Be faithful. We just, we just saved the Colorado government $100,000. You're welcome, taxpayers of-, of America. You're welcome. <laughs> or I guess of Colorado. We, we just saved them $100,000 in, what was that? Five minutes? Ten minutes? Yeah, they're about. But it's still Black History Month, so we're going to keep talking about this a little bit. So after looking at all these statistics, I think it's safe to say that, unfortunately, a lot of Black families in America are broken. And with our uh, two-step plan of get married and stay married, we basically just explain to you the nuclear family, one mother, one father, together, being committed together, and their children. That is the nuclear family. And the nuclear family is the building blocks of society. If you don't have strong families, you don't have a strong society. And, you know, in Black uh, communities and Black America, uh, we, we have seen the statistics. It is, it is there. It's a fact. Uh, black women, they are more likely to get married later in life or not get married at all, which was popularized back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, They created all sorts of different uh, government programs 
which Thomas Sowell talks a lot about, which it's a lot of fun listening to him. Uh, he's fantastic economist, um, but he, he pointed out that in the 50s and 60s, we created more of a welfare state where mm -hmm. single motherhood was promoted. It was, you were at what was perceived as an advantage. Single mothers under these welfare programs that were implemented, uh, they received larger checks for not being married and having more children, which mm -hmm. caused women at the time, and even still today, to remain unmarried but have multiple children, uh, which mm -hmm. as we can see from earlier, it doesn't work out very well. Uh, there are problems that are caused by that. Yeah, so the 50s and 60s were the time of the civil rights movement, and a lot of the civil rights movement activism adopted these welfare policies, and like you said, Scott, caused a, a great amount of problem within the black communities. Another thing that was really being pushed at the time was women's rights, being pushed by feminists who they have quite the his interesting history if we go into it. Uh, one, one name that you might recognize is Margaret Sanger, who was the founder of Planned Parenthood. She was a racist feminist eugenicist. Now, Nicole, for our government-educated audience, mm -hmm. what, are, what is eugenics? Well, eugenics is basically selective breeding for people. It is, according to, I believe, Britannica here, the selection of desired heritable characteristics in order to improve future generations, typically in reference to humans. I've never heard of eugenics outside of talking about humans, uh, but anyway, uh, this is a direct result of Darwinian evolution theory. Darwinian evolution says that we are slowly evolving over the course of millions of years through mutations, and these mutations are helping us adapt to our environment and so what the eugenicist says is let's help evolution along by removing all the bad genetics so we only have the good stuff, and then we can advance our society into a higher state or something or another. And Margaret Sanger wrote a book called Pivot of Civilization in which she wrote that the handicapped, including the blind, deaf, dumb, mute, and epileptics, were the, quote, dead weight of human waste, unquote. So clearly the eugenicists, the Darwinists, they don't hold human life of any real value. You're just, if you're not working in society, if you're not able to function like a normal human being, then you might as well be dead. This is the thinking of these people. And many abortion clinics were placed in these poor neighborhoods for race hygiene, which is what they called this, um, to get rid of all the bad genes. We want to keep the good genes, race hygiene. So they put these Planned Parenthoods in poor neighborhoods to encourage women who they deemed human waste to procure abortions and essentially cut them out of the gene pool so that they wouldn't be reproducing. I did read that in 2021, uh, Planned Parenthood's president stated in the New York Times, quote, we're done making excuses for our founder, unquote. So it's come to the attention of people in Planned Parenthood that, hey, our founder was a racist. She did not value human life, which I kind of ironic, but they're more focused on the race part. Of course, Planned Parenthood doesn't value human life because they're still killing babies. Uh, but they do recognize that race, that Sanger was a racist eugenicist, and they're not okay with that. So I suppose that's a silver lining that now more people are aware of her background. But like I said, they're still killing babies, so we still need to work on that. Anyhow, the myth of overpopulation was also in everybody's head at the time. A book called 
uh, population bomb was circulating and it was telling everybody that, hey, we're about to reach maximum capacity on Earth. If we don't do something now, we're all going to basically we're not going to be able to feed ourselves. We're all going to die. It's going to be a disaster. So we need to do something about this. And so this made it very easy for ideas like eugenics and the feminist idea ideologies of giving women the right to choose when to have kids and when to kill them. Uh, it was very easy for these ideologies to get into the public. I had forgotten to write down the year for this, but there was a court case, a significant court case called Buck versus Bell, which allowed state governments to sterilize its people that they deemed genetically unfit. And uh, this has never been overturned, by the way. There's been some things, you know, I think most people have moved away from eugenics. Uh, for the most part, at least for now, it's there's a good chance that it's going to come back based on the way society is going. Um, but regardless of what the government says it's going to do, if people are evil enough, they're going to find a way. But I just thought it, I should throw that in there. So you mentioned how Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood, they target uh, minority and black communities mm -hmm. uh, because of their eugenicist roots. Mm -hmm. um, we have statistics from the CDC that state among the 30 areas that reported race by ethnicity data, for 2020, non-Hispanic white women uh, and non-Hispanic black women accounted for the highest percentages of all abortions. Mm -hmm. uh, black women specifically were responsible for 39.2%. Uh, and Hispanic women and non-Hispanic women in other race categories accounted for lower percentages. Uh, the non-Hispanic women, or rather Hispanic women, 22.1%, and uh, in the other categories, 7%. Mm -hmm. uh, white women had the lowest abortion rate, uh, 6.2 abortions per thousand, and black women had the highest abortion rate, 24.4 abortions per 1,000 women, mm -hmm. which it worked. Margaret Sanger's plan worked. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's another statistic here, which is overall... Uh, among the 40 areas that reported by marital status for 2020, only 13.7% of women who obtained an abortion were married, and 86.3% were unmarried. Yep. So, so that brings us you... back. That brings us back to our two-step plan of get married and stay married. How do we end abortion? Well, we can start by maybe promoting people to get married and stay married. Yep. So, Nicole, I know you've been studying feminism quite a bit recently. Can you talk about how feminism specifically has been working to destroy the nuclear family? Yeah, so I have been studying a lot about this lately. I recently picked up a book called Occult Feminism by Rachel Wilson. I highly recommend it. It goes into um, a lot of the early history of feminism and how it's tied into occult magic and witchcraft and stuff like that. Um, but feminism has played a huge role in destroying the family unit because the whole goal of feminism is to make men and women equal or even higher than men. And that naturally contradicts what God has created. So the end result is going to be destruction. Um, one name that you are probably familiar with is Elizabeth Cady Stanton. She was a very famous suffragette. And she, along with 24 other feminist activists, wrote something called the Woman's Bible. And this is not like a woman's study Bible that you might pick up at your local Hobby Lobby. No, this is completely different. 
Nicole, what did Stanton write in this book? Well, let's start at the introduction of the book. Uh, in the introduction, Stanton writes, quote, The Bible teaches that women brought sin and death into the world, that she participated in the fall of the human race, that she was arraigned before the judgment scene of heaven, tried, condemned, and sentenced. Marriage for her was to be a condition of bondage, maternity a period of suffering and anguish, and in silence and subjection she was to play the role of a dependent on man's bounty for all her material wants. And for all the information she might desire on the vital questions of the hour, she was commanded to ask her husband at home. And we hear these grievances from modern-day feminists all the time, always complaining about, oh, how bad the patriarchy is, and the Bible's so oppressive against women. God hates women. The Bible's awful. And obviously, these women have never actually read the Bible in any honesty. They're just looking for things to nitpicks to support their position. Um, now, she also goes on to say, quote, Here's the Bible's position of women, the feminists, briefly summed up. Those who have the divine insight to translate, transpose, and transfigure this mournful object of pity, the Bible, into an exalted, dignified personage worthy of our worship as the mother of the race, they are to be congratulated as having a share of the occultic mystic power of the Eastern Mahatmas." Unquote. So as you can tell that a lot of these early feminists were into occult magic and witchcraft and Eastern religions such as Hinduism. In fact, one of these early feminists named Helena Blavatsky was the founder of a religion called Theosophy, which is derived from the Greek word Theos, meaning God, and Sophia, meaning wisdom, and generally understood to mean divine wisdom. So if you're familiar with Gnosticism, you kind of see the ties there. Now, Blavatsky was born into a very wealthy family, so she did a lot of traveling when she was young. She got to see the world and see all these religions, and she just decided that she liked a little bit of all of them, and she combined them into one, and that's what this theosophy is. And the whole idea of theosophy was that everybody could get along, get together, there were no boundaries, there's no, you know, just very enlightened, we can all be enlightened, we can all live together in harmony. Uh, basically that coexist bumper sticker that you see on the back of a Prius pretty much sums up what this religion is all about. And a lot of these early feminists loved that idea. It didn't really separate men from women, it made them equal, and that's what they wanted. They wanted to have their say in the matter. And another thing that was very prominent among the early feminists was that they all just wanted to love freely. You've probably heard the term free love. Well, that was coined by a woman named Victoria Woodhall in the late 1800s. I thought the term free love was a hippie thing in like the 60s, but it turns out that comes way earlier. And Victoria Woodhall was a scam artist. Her whole family was a scam artist. I believe her father was known uh, like a snake oil salesman. They were traveling across the country to escape police and whatnot throughout her childhood. So she took up the family tradition and started performing psychic readings, promising to contact dead relatives to people. And then before they could get her, because they realized, oh my gosh, she just scammed me out of so much money, she'd be, you know, off to the next place. Um, her and her sister did a lot of this. And Victoria Woodhull became the first woman to run for president in 1872, which uh, was the election that Ulysses S. Grant won. So just to give you some time context. Interesting. Well, bringing us back a little bit, um, it's not just the black families that the feminists and Margaret Sanger have helped destroy, mm -hmm. um, but marriage as well, uh, marriage itself, which is our solution here. Uh, marriage, it's a divine institution ordained by God, uh, a fact that we used to acknowledge, but since marriage has lost its sanctity in our society, 
uh, and divorce has become destigmatized and celebrated, uh, it's an easy option for the average Joe. Uh, we see families of all races falling apart across the board, uh, and it's it's really unfortunate. So that's about all the time that we have uh, for today. This solution, get married, stay married, and that's something we're very big on here at KGov. So speaking of marriage, last week, presented before God and man were Mr. and Mrs. Dominic Inyart. That's right, Dom got hitched. And he's currently on his honeymoon. Yes, so Dominic and his new bride are out there gallivanting the countryside this week on their honeymoon. And we couldn't think of a better gift than to extend the telethon for him just a little while longer. So go to kgov.com and hit that telethon banner. Send us a donation. You can think of it as a little wedding gift to Dominic. But don't worry, we're not going to waste the money on honeymooning. This money will be used to fund our media team, which was the original purpose of this telethon, and so it shall be for the remainder of the telethon. So be sure you go to kgov.com and hit that telethon banner, send us a donation, purchase a product, uh, sponsor a show. Anything you can do will go to our telethon goal. And thank you to everybody who did donate during the month of January. We appreciate all of your support. And so for that, I'm Nicole McBurney with Scott Shamblin. May God bless you guys.